So the church is what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks as we prepare ourselves for, for Easter. And I was thinking about the church and all the different churches that I've been in in my lifetime, both as a kid growing up, just attending church, in college when I was learning about the church, when I was studying to be a pastor, and, and one of the classes we had, we had to go to a bunch of different churches. And uh, I remember how difficult that was. I was excited about it, but then when I started showing up at these churches, and if I went by myself, do you, maybe you don't know, but it is really difficult to walk into a church by yourself that you've never been to. It's, it's kind of unnerving because you don't know anybody and trying to find a place to sit. Some churches, people are really friendly. Other churches, they don't talk to you at all. And, uh, and then after Lisa and I got married, we went to a few different churches and then I felt this call into the ministry. And that was an experience all in itself because we went from Every, every little, not every little town in Kansas, because there's a lot of them, but a bunch of little towns in Kansas where I would fill the pulpit on Sunday morning and just show up and preach. And, and there's one in particular that we went to is in Salina, Kansas. It was about two hours from our house. And the district superintendent called and said, would you go there? They need a pastor. And, and would you just go and preach this week? They just need someone to fill in. And I said, sure, that's great. And so we get in the car, load five kids into our car, drive two hours on Sunday morning to Salina, Kansas. And uh, we show up, and it looks like the church is abandoned because there's like two cars in the parking lot. And we go in, and there's literally, I don't know the exact number, but there was less than 10 people in the church they weren't even meeting in the sanctuary. Their sanctuary is bigger than this one, but they weren't even meeting in the sanctuary. They were meeting in a Sunday school classroom. And, and, and they had just kind of, they were so sad about their church because it at one time was a flourishing church and it had just shrunken down to almost nothing. And they were so excited to get Lisa and I and our seven kids because we doubled the size of the church just instantly, just boom. And I went in there, and it was such a, a different experience, but we had this, this bonding with the people, and they, they loved us, and they, they said, would you come back next week? And we we're like, well, I guess so, like two hours away, and then for a year, we drove back to that church every Sunday, and what was amazing, we started with less than 10 people, and, well, over 10 because we had our family with us, so, so we, had, we had a few more, but we started, and these people, I lived two hours away, and, and they wanted me to be the pastor of this church, but I couldn't really be there during the week. I had a job. I worked over 50 hours a week, plus I uh, had the cell phone that I was always attached to, and so I was a busy guy, and then I was trying to, to pastor this church, and from that, it was October, we had less than 10 people, and then you fast forward to Easter, and on Easter, we'd moved back into the sanctuary, and there were 77 people there on Easter. And that doesn't sound like much to have 77 people there, but from where that church was, and I look back at that time at that, that church, and I think, what was so different there? Because we went to other little churches where it wasn't going to grow. You could feel it from the second you walked in. But the people that were there on that first Sunday... They wanted so badly to see their church flourish. And, and the word that I think of when I think of this Salina Belmont church was they were committed. They were committed to see people know Jesus. And that made all the difference. We weren't inviting people to Easter because we didn't even live there. 
they were inviting people. There was a couple in that church that drove a van, and they would go and pick up kids on a route and bring them to the church every Sunday. And they were in their 70s, but they were so committed to seeing the work of Jesus done. It was this beautiful thing. And today, we're going to start talking about the church and what the church looks like. What is the church supposed to be? And the best thing we can do is go to the very first church. And I'm going to start with the exactly what we just sang. And when you go to Matthew chapter 16, that's the first time we hear the word church. And it comes from Jesus talking to Peter. And basically what happens in this exchange is they are they are having this conversation and Jesus asks his disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do they think I am? And they, they have a few answers here, but then Peter says this. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. A pretty profound answer, right? You're, this is your friend, your mentor, and you're saying, I believe you're the son of God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed. Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What a powerful statement. On this rock, he's going to build his church and all the powers of hell cannot stop it. That's the first time you hear this, that this idea of church. It was a very different thing. And the word here is ekklesia. It's a Greek word that literally means a gathering or a movement, kind of a grassroots movement. It had nothing to do with the building, had nothing to do with budgets. It had nothing to do with, with anything except this powerful gathering of people that believed in Jesus, just like Peter believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And then from there, the disciples and Jesus, they spend a few years together, and Jesus is teaching them, and then Jesus gets arrested, and he dies, and he's resurrected, and this gathering of people at that point, and when you go to Acts chapter 1, you find that there's about 122 believers. That's it. And Jesus tells them, you stay right here, and you pray because a gift is coming to you. That gift is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had promised this Holy Spirit. And so on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on this 122 people. And, and literally, the people around them think they're drunk because they are so full of the Spirit. And they begin to teach and preach the Word of God. And at that moment there at Pentecost, Peter preaches the first sermon <laughs> to the first church. And I want to read to you what it says here. Well, actually, I'm going to get to that. Peter begins to preach this sermon, and the people are gathered around. And you can imagine some of the people thought they were nuts. Others are going, what is going on? There's something powerful happening here. And as Peter preaches and tells them all the things that, that Jesus, who he was, what he was, at the end of that sermon, 3,000 people became believers in Jesus. 3,000 people. Can you imagine? What a first church service, right? And then from there, you go into the end of Acts chapter 2, and it describes the first church. 
So you've got the apostles, these 122 believers. You add the 3,000 that just get baptized. They believe, and now we have the first church. And so in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it describes the church, the very first church. Let me read this to you. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, into fellowship, into sharing in meals, into prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the first church. This is Now, I've spent a lot of time in a lot of churches. And from this church to what we have today is, is different. We're in a different culture. I get that. But it's different. This very first church was so different in their culture. <laughs> it was powerful and it was life-changing. And over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about what we can learn from this first church. What made them so powerful? I think the overriding theme of what made them so powerful is they were committed. They were committed to a bunch of things. And here's the way I see it. They were committed, number one, to grow. To grow in their faith, their, their spiritual growth. Two, they were committed to have friendships and relationships with each other. They were committed to pray. They were committed to be generous, uh, to help each other, to, to serve each other. They were committed to worship together. And they were committed to be full of the joy and the hope of Jesus. They were committed. When I think of the word committed, it was something when I was in high school I heard all the time from my coaches. And when I was, I was a wrestler, I've shared that before, I wrestled from the time I was five years old all the way through high school. When you wrestle that long, I guess you don't have a choice but to get good at it because you just are doing it all the time. And so I was pretty good by the time I got to high school. And I had my high school coach would get really frustrated with me. And he would say, if you would actually commit yourself to this, you could be really good at this. And I just thought I was committed. Eh, yeah, okay. And, and when I got into high school, I made the varsity team, and, and then I made it to state as a sophomore, and then my junior year, I was having this great year, I'd only lost one match, and my coach kept saying, if you would be committed to this, and I kept saying, I'm doing great, I'm doing great, and this one match was coming up, and I had to wrestle a kid that used to go to our school, and I never lost to him, and I was telling coach, I can't wait to beat him. You know, he moved away, and, and there was a, you know, a little bit of a rivalry, but he had never beat me. And we show up at that high school that night, and he kicked my rear end, and I was devastated. And my coach walked over to me, you know what he said? If you were committed to this, you could be pretty good. And something in me that night, that mainly because I hate to lose, it clicked. And the next week in practice, I decided I'm going to be committed and, and I remember we, in our wrestling practices, whenever we had a water break, we had to stop and we had to do 20 push-ups and then go to get, get our water break. 
And I decided if everyone's doing 20, I'm going to do 40. And so I'd do 40 push-ups, and I'd go get water. And after practice was over, I started that week, whenever the coach would say, hey, you've got these number of sprints, or you have to run for 15 minutes around the, the halls after practice, I doubled whatever he said. And I remember some nights I would be there after everyone else was gone. The gym was empty. It was just me running. And I decided I am going to commit myself. And so a few weeks later at the regional meet, guess who I got to wrestle again? It was Todd Nabus, the kid that beat me earlier. And I didn't just beat him, but I beat him really badly. And from there, I ended up that year making it to the state finals. And I took second in the state that year, losing six to four, that close to being state champion. And my coach kept saying, see, <laughs> if you are committed, look what you can do. And, and I take that and I think, how many times in the church do we just show up? Oh, I go to church. I, I go to church. I, I do that. But what if we were committed at church? Uh, the first church, man, these guys were committed. And, and it led to them growing, and it led to people wanting to be part of what they had. People wanted what they had. There was something going on in this church, this gathering of people. They were, they were different. And so today as we look at this first commitment, it was this. I believe the first commitment was they were committed to grow in their faith. And, and really, that's the foundation of all the other commitments. It starts with us being committed to grow in our relationship with Christ, to grow in our faith. Acts 2.42 just says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they committed themselves to growing. Now, the apostles' teaching, what were they teaching? They were teaching what Jesus taught them. For three years, they had, they had lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, listened to Jesus, watched Jesus, and they took all that Jesus taught them, and now they were teaching the people that were coming to this gathering. They were teaching them. And so, you have the, Jesus teaches the apostles, the apostles teach the people, and then the people, what do they do? They start teaching others. This commitment continues to grow. Now, when you look at our church, I, I, I love our mission statement. Our mission statement is to know the love of Christ and to make, and to make that love known. It's two parts. We quite often talk about making that love known. Not as often do we talk about the first part. To know the love of Christ, to know the love of Jesus is to grow in our faith. It's, it's not just to know Jesus, but it's to really know him and understand him and learn about him. And so this first church was committed to knowing Jesus and being committed to growing in your faith. And I want us to hear this. Being committed to growing in your faith is different than just showing up to church. And just like my wrestling coach, he couldn't make me be committed. A pastor can't make someone committed. A, a wife can't make her husband committed. A parent can't make their child committed. It's an individual decision to be committed to growing in your faith. No one else can make that decision for you. You have to decide that. And it's more than just showing up to church. And so when we come here on Sunday... It's nice. We have donuts. We have coffee. There's really nice people, and it's, it's really good. And the music is, is great. We worship together, and then we 
should be learning together. But quite often, and I'll admit it's the same way for me, after we leave here Sunday morning, that's it. That's, that's what we forget about. We forget about what we learned. We forget about everything else. We go through the week, and then we come back next Sunday, and we have more donuts and more coffee, which all that's good. I love the donuts and the coffee. And I love hanging out with you guys, but there's more to the church than just showing up on Sunday morning. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. And so the apostles were teaching these people. What were they teaching them? What, what, just looking at Peter's message, if you read through Peter's message, I think, okay, they were teaching them the fundamentals of Christianity. And, and so basically, who is Jesus? What did he come to earth for? Well, why did he have to die? What happens when we believe in him? What is the Holy Spirit? If you're going to know Jesus, you have to really start right there. And so Peter, in that first message, he's explaining to them what he expressed to Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah that came to save us. And why did he have to die? Well, because we're all sinners. And if he didn't die, we have no way to be connected to God. We have no way to have salvation. So Jesus had to die, had to defeat death. And he came back so that we could have life. And so that's what Peter is teaching them. And I love in Acts 2, through uh, 37 and 38, these words, I love it. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 41, it says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. There's nothing complicated about Peter's message, but it's powerful. <laughs> it, it Really, it's, it's just truth, right? Peter spoke truth, and the people believed. And something happened that day. And, and the people that believed... They didn't go home and go, hey, we had a good day today. Yeah, it was real nice. A lot of people were there. It was really good. They, they went home and their lives were radically changed. They were all in. They were committed to know Jesus Christ and to share his love. And really, this is the foundation of the church. This, this simple, beautiful and powerful gospel message is the foundation of the church. And what I love about this early church, they had no budget. They had no board. And I love you board members, don't get me wrong. But they had no board. And they had no bylaws. They had no building. <laughs> All they had was the truth of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They had the truth of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And it exploded into something amazing. I want to go from there, and I want to look at a couple different New Testament verses that talk about the importance of church. In Ephesians chapter 4, you have Paul writing this letter. Now, Paul was someone who hated the church. When the church first took off, Paul was persecuting the church, and then Jesus gets a hold of him, transforms his life, and now he's writing letters to tell the church how they should be. And so Paul is calling the church to unity and peace. And basically saying, hey, if we 
the church aren't unified. If we don't have peace right here among ourselves, how in the world can we be the church, be the message of Jesus to the rest of the world? And so in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, this is what Paul says. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This is important. It, it says, what, so what are pastors supposed to be doing? Well, right here, we're supposed to be equipping the church. That's what I do on Sunday morning. I'm equipping the church. I'm saying, hey, here's how we should live. These are the things we should be doing. And so the leaders are called to equip. But here's the amazing thing. And then the people are supposed to be doing the work of the church. They should be doing the work of the church because what is the church? It's the body of Christ. So the church, what this is right here is actually the body of Christ. And maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. But we are supposed to be the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. What's amazing, and I always look back at this and think, I don't fully agree with your plan, God. Now, now don't strike me dead yet. Because I don't understand. If Jesus would have just stayed on earth, wouldn't that have made more sense? But that's not the way he did it. He left earth, and what did he do? He left his spirit with us. And so... We can't, we can't grow in faith in Jesus without the Holy Spirit. We can't understand God without the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, we can do the work of Jesus. And through the church, we can do that. The church is the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus doing the work that Jesus started, that the first church started and continues even today, some 2,000 years later, Jesus entrusted us to do his work. And we should be committed to knowing and sharing Jesus. Now, there's two things for us to be the body of Christ. First of all, I mentioned it, you, it can't happen without the Spirit of God. And the second thing, it can't happen unless we are committed to learn and grow in our faith. Like I said earlier, my wrestling coach couldn't make me be committed. I had to make that decision. No pastor can make a church be committed. That church in Salina that I talked about, I never made them be committed. They wanted, they wanted that church to be the body of Christ. And so they had this commitment and the Spirit of God honored that. And so I'm asking you to be committed to grow in your faith. And here's my commitment to you. My commitment is I'm going to give you something so that throughout the week you can actually study. And so every week I have it back there on the table, just little white sheets of paper that have basically what I give to the life groups each week to study the sermon. So you can take that with you and you can work on it throughout the week. You can study deeper. But the whole idea is you take that with you so you can grow. That's my commitment to you. I'm going to do this, and you can take that, and you can learn and grow. You can be committed to learning throughout the week. The early church was powerful, but they were also peaceful. That's what I find so amazing. They were powerful and peaceful, and people were attracted 
to this early church. God was working through this church. They were working in this church. And when you look at today's church, our church, there's churches all, I mean, just, just in a couple miles, we have so many churches here in Carlsbad. And then every city around us has churches. And, and what's amazing to me is, now I could be wrong, but people aren't really attracted to the church. They're not drawn to come walking through our doors. And, and like I said at the very beginning, when I was by myself in college and I had to go visit churches, man, I'd get in the parking lot and I would like, like oh, I don't want to walk in that door. It looks scary. It looked I didn't know anybody in there. And, and I, during COVID, I think it was one of the most profound things in my ministry because I hadn't really had anything like this happen before, but a guy named Derek Andre showed up. Remember, we're meeting outside on the lawn, and there was something about meeting outside that I think seemed a little bit more inviting to people, and Derek told me later after we became friends that he would jog by on Sunday morning, and he'd hear the music, or he'd hear me talking, and he started thinking, I I should go there some Sunday. Derek had been to church maybe five times, six times in his whole life. And he told me later that he, he came one Sunday, and he came and he sat kind of in the back. But he told me later, if you were meeting inside, I probably would have never come. I, I, I didn't know anybody. I, I, was kind of, I would have been scared to walk up those stairs and into the doors. But because we're outside, he felt comfortable when he came. And here's what was amazing about that story. As Derek came, we talked after the service, we kind of connected, and then that very next week, his mother-in-law was murdered over here in Haas Grove. And so his wife, Emma, had never, ever, ever been to church. In fact, she had a family that they said, no, church is bad, stay away from it. And we started reaching out to them because we had connected with Derek, and then you guys started giving them meals, and we got, in, we got more connected with them. I got to talk to Derek more, and, and I was able to walk with Derek and Emma, who had never been to church, had never been to this church until that week. And yet, the timing, you can't say anything, but God timed it up, right, pretty well? And we began to love them. And as we loved them, guess what? Emma started coming to church. And I remember the first few times she'd leave during the music, she didn't feel comfortable, whatever, but then she started coming. And pretty soon, Derek and Emma and their kids became part of our church. You loved them into this church. And what a story. They've moved back to Oregon. They're in Bend, Oregon. And here they still haven't found any place that loved them the way that we love them. And I look back at that story and I go, that should be happening all the time. That should be happening all the time. Well, as the church, man, we should be loving people in a way that they are drawn to us. We should be sharing the truth of Christ in a way that people are drawn to us. Now, we live in a different culture than the first church. I get that. <laughs> I totally get that. And we're in buildings now. We're not sitting out on the temple steps. It's different. And that's why I believe invitation is necessary for, for us to have those same type of interactions like we did with, with Derek and Emma and that family is we have to be active. We have to be inviting people because honestly, people don't, aren't going to walk into a church where they don't know anybody. 
And so we need to be active. How are we active? Well, first of all, we are going to challenge each other to be committed to this church, to the church that Christ has created right here in Las Flores. And we're going to challenge each other to invite people. I mean, actually invite people to come to our church. I, I want to read to you what the writer of Hebrews said. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So how can we motivate each other to what acts of love and good works? We need to be encouraging, motivating each other to come together, meet together, because, man, this is where we we have the Holy Spirit with us. It's this connection, and it's this time that we can spur each other on. And so just these few verses, we should be encouraging each other to love and to do good works. We should be encouraging each other to show up on Sunday morning, to show up to our life groups. We should be encouraging each other to invite people that need Jesus. And so, I'm going to introduce you to what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. And I'm very uninventive, but I'm going to call it the great, the great Easter invite. That's great, right? The great Easter invite. And here's what we're going to do, okay? It's six steps. And we're going to kind of walk through this together. Next week, we're going to have these really cool little cards that I made that are going to make it really easy for you. But first of all, this week, we're going to pray. We're going to think. We're going to ponder about who we can invite on Easter Sunday. And this is like beating a dead horse, but if you invite somebody on Christmas and Easter, they are twice as likely to come as any other time of the year. And so you're going to invite someone to come, sit on our lawn, have ocean view, and there's an Easter egg hunt. There's going to be lots of donuts and maybe even other pastries and coffee and all those things. And so we're going to be inviting people. So, so for this week, you're going to pray. You're not writing any names down. You're just praying about who it is you want to invite. Next week, you're going to start writing those 10 names down. You're going to write down, and I'm asking, you heard me right, I'm going to ask you to invite 10 people. Now, I mentioned this to Eva Shaw, and she's already invited 10 people. She's, she's like, calm down, Eva. Calm down. I haven't even given you the cards yet. So some of you might invite more, okay? Others, you might struggle to invite 10. But I'm going to challenge you to invite 10 people to Easter Sunday. Then, once you write those names down, I'm going to ask you to share those with me. And then when you sh you're going to have your 10 names, I'm going to have your 10 names, and the whole church is going to be praying for those 10 names of everybody. You haven't even invited them yet, but they're being prayed for. Now, Eva, now you can start inviting them the next week. You're going to have your little card, and now as we're praying for these people, you're going to just, it can be as easy as, hey, I just want to invite you to, to Easter, and this is pretty little card, and it looks nice, and it's really simple, but you're just going to invite people to come to your church on Easter Sunday morning. After we invite them, we're going to keep praying for them, and then right before Easter, this is huge, but you have to invite them again, because sometimes people forget. 
And sometimes people go, they asked me once, but they haven't said anything since. I think I can get it. Don't let them out of it. Go back one more time and just say, hey, don't forget. Don't forget Easter Sunday. I'd love to see you there. If they have kids, they can be part of an Easter egg hunt. And there's coffee and there's pastries. And oh, Jesus will be shared. It's really simple. But my prayer is that it's really powerful. Because honestly, the thing we're missing from the first church, I think, is power. And yet we have the same Holy Spirit that they had. The same one. And so we are going to commit. I'm going to challenge you to commit to this church and to watching this church flourish. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would, you would overwhelm us with your presence. We would sense the power of your Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that as we begin to think about people that need to know you, that you would just lay those names on our hearts, that you would go before us, and that, Lord, that people would come, not just people that already know you, but people that need you. And that's our prayer. Help us to be powerful and attractive like your church. Because we are your church, Lord. I pray that we would be the church you've called us to be. And this is our prayer. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.